0: listening to the 202 studio a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the district of columbia throughout the series we'll be talking with artists humanities practitioners organizational leaders and many others individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight in organizations studios and workshops in all eight wards as we explore the heartbeat of dc's arts humanities creativity and culture to learn more Visit dcarts.dc.gov. Welcome to the 202 Studio from the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities. I'm Jeffrey Scott. Today, we're joined by one of DC's preeminent, prolific artists, visual artists. Uh, She works in mixed media, multimedia, uh, and uh, public art as well, Mm -hmm. uh, Miss Martha Jackson Jarvis. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, talk a bit about, your story and how you came to decide that you wanted to be a visual artist and your career in the arts.
1: Yes. Well, I came to Washington, D.C. in 1970 to attend Howard University. And uh, there I entered the School of Fine Arts. And at that time, it was really flourishing. Uh, It was a, a community of creative people, visual artists theater people, dance, music, um, and it had a a really rather large international uh, faculty as well as student body, so it was an interesting place to be. So uh, I found my way there to the School of Fine Arts and and had an opportunity to work with, for the first time in my life, I had come from uh, Philadelphia uh, as a student, to work with professional artists. And these were, artists, these were very serious-minded people who had really traveled from all over the world, literally, and the country, to make their home here in Washington, D.C. And um, it was, for me, the first real introduction to what it meant to be a part of an artistic community, uh, albeit I was still a student. Uh, and then um, I later, it um, studied there at Howard, and of, of course, you'd see the legacy of the artists who were not just at Howard University, but were part of the greater Washington area. You know, uh, Lois Malo Jones, Sam Gilliam, um, uh, the names would just go on, Jacob Kane, and these were people, Gene Davis, prolific artists who really decided emphatically to make Washington their creative home. They could have been anywhere, New York, uh, Europe but here was Washington. Um, So I I transferred to Tyler School of Art in Pennsylvania, but after I graduated from there, I came back to Washington because uh, that memory of the community uh, in the city, the verb of the city, uh, drew me back to Washington, D.C. And the D.C. Commission, early on, was really vital to survival as an artist. Of course, when you're a student, you have access to studio labs, you have materials, you have an instant community. But once you graduate, you have to (laughs) fabricate all of these things on on your your own. own. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, when I left Tyler, I mean, with state-of-the-art studio, sculpture, ceramics, painting, whatever you needed was there. Um, So when you're out as an independent artist, how do you start to create your studio, your voice, your laboratory, if you will? That's how I see a studio where you could in actually very serious begin your research, your documentation of your life's work. Um, And for me, in 1979, I had applied for the D.C. Commission on the Arts uh, grant. And in order to even apply, you had to already have set in on doing a serious body of work because you must apply with work and you are identified by the work that you produce it isn't someone's friend it isn't someone's neighbor it is the work the artistic work that you have produced uh the legacy that you build you know emphatically for yourself um and uh I had um Again, gotten a, a, a rapport with another really good photographer who documented the work. You also can't apply without really excellent photography because your work is viewed through someone else's artistry, right, really. Exactly. You know, a photographer. So for me, a photographer was paramount to travel through this kind of voyage, if you will. So from that documentation, I got a grant, and that grant, a $5,000 grant, was absolutely extraordinary in terms of being able to uh, feed the materials, the time, the research, um, uh, and access, accessibility to the city, and, and accessibility to time so you can really put in the research that was necessary.
0: And this was $5,000 in 1979.
1: This was $5,000 in 1979, which was like 50 to me as a young artist coming out. Mm-hmm. And more than just the money, it was an affirmation that you can do this, mm-hmm. right? I remember leaving school and having just a portfolio, a black literal portfolio, and I said, oh my goodness, this is the only thing I have to show I'm an artist. <laughs> but you, you certainly began to accrue this. So... um Early on, the commission had uh, a hand in creating, for me, what was to be a legacy of production uh, and a voice in the city. Um, I i am a sculptor, so I was always exploring uh, various materials. And the commission was structured such that it could be very open, the meaning in terms of what sculpture could mean or what painting could mean. So you could have these kind of uh, broad scope of what an artist could really do, what kind of research. And I also really liked the idea that once you received a grant, uh, oftentimes they would invite an artist in to have a voice in terms of uh, how some of the other artists would be later uh, selected. Uh, sit on some of the panels. You got to really see behind the scenes, if you will. Uh, And also, it was always open. It was an open uh, process. If you did not receive the grant, you could literally come in and there would be feedback as to what could be improved, what some of the panelists said, what were some of the comments. Or you could actually literally come in and observe such that it was not a mystery. As to how it was done, and I thought the commission kept it very much an open process, so that you could you could peer in mm-hmm. and enter at various points. And for uh, an artist, a young artist, that's really critical. Um, and also, I wanted to you know you had asked me the question um, I think yesterday about when did I receive the grant. I wanted to I I couldn't remember all the years, but <laughs> you I got had brought, a few of them. I, yeah, I brought my. Um, um, resume just to kind of recount for myself. In '79, I received the Individual Artist Grant in Sculpture from the DC Commission, and in 1982, I received the Emergent Artist Award, which is not monetary, but it's an award that was given like the Mayor's it was Art Award. Was part of the uh, mayor's Mayor's uh, yeah. uh-huh. Award. Uh, and then an Individual Artist Grant from the DC Commission again in 1985, '86. Now, as I'm reading off these years, that's coupled between major bodies of work. Right. And I had a system for myself. I never applied with one year's work. I always had at least two years of really serious work and research in the coffer Mm -hmm. so that I could apply, Mm -hmm. such that I anticipated I was going to win (laughs) for myself, for myself. And then... In 1986, I also received the National Sculpture Grant from the National Endowment on the Arts, which was still functional. So again, uh, and then in 1992, the Virginia uh, Group Fellowship and Grant and um, Sculpture, Lala Wallace uh, Travel Grant to Italy in 1992, uh, Study Grant to Pilchek Glass School, and... The grants continued, but what I wanted to say that at the foundation of my grantsmanship and being able to communicate with larger organizations, national organizations, the NEA, um, the uh, Lafayette, Blackburn, Teague's Experimental Printmaking grant, that this foundation was set here in Washington, D.C., by the D.C. Commission, which means the artists who live here and function, can compete on a national and international scale, right? Absolutely. And I think that legacy was really crafted here Mm -hmm. from the D.C. Commission. And it's really invaluable how this kind of um, progress, right, that an artist can track. You can track your own Mm -hmm. growth, you know, your own development. And at the same time, you're not only doing an individual growth, but it's really for the artistic community of Washington, D.C., Absolutely. that we're taken seriously across the nation. And I think the commission has a hand in that. Uh, I lived in Philadelphia for a number of years, and they have the Pew. And right. the Pew, you know, it's a, a wonderful grant, you know, large grant. And over the years, I've seen the D.C. commission increase the amount of money that they would give to individual artists. And um, it's extraordinary. Also, I haven't mentioned any of the programming that they engaged in. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, they started the a public art program, you know, making sure that there were public art projects across the city, uh, engaging sculpture. Mm-hmm. Sculpture is very difficult to place. It isn't quite as easy as painting and having walls because you have to have, have space, and in, in public space, it has to be secured, it has to be documented. And all of these things must be. Uh,
0: particularly in DC, who owns that land? Yeah, <laughs> because sometimes it's DC land. land, sometimes it's federal land, yes. you know.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, with the public. All of these issues of safety and of maintenance, all of these things must be addressed. So that's a, uh, a large ticket, and I think I was really excited when the D.C. Commission decided to take that on. Uh, and I also sat on um, several of the panels to review public art projects, competitive things, from yeah. artists who really travel from all over the country to compete here in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. And it was also always refreshing to see that Washington artists could compete, mm-hmm. you know, that could compete and, and oftentimes did win those very, very competitive um, awards that were coming.
0: I find it interesting about your, when you read off your, the grants that you have won over the years mm-hmm. and a little bit later on in your career, you start uh, getting grants for your own research and travel, uh, learning about new techniques that, you know, so, you know, you never stop learning, of course, you know, we're always students, Absolutely. but- you know, that's a, that's a great uh, point to make, that the, the grants don't only fund your own work, but they fund your your study and your ability to continue to advance your work.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When I talk about this, the uh, studio as a laboratory, the work really is, it's really seed money. It's never the the finite thing, but it's a beginning and to point you in the right direction so that you can really expand where your research will take you. Right mm-hmm. uh, at one point, I, I was really getting. Um, I started out in ceramics and materials and breaking things, and it kind of grew into mosaic. And then finally, I wrote a grant to uh, organization in New York City to travel grant, and you could in this with this grant uh, wherever in the world you wanted to travel, where your work would lead you. And I wanted to travel to Italy. For years, I had always looked at the mosaics, but always in reproduction, books, mm-hmm. never really experienced them. And I wrote that grant and I received it to travel to Italy and, and to study. I, I went uh, first to the American Academy in Rome, which was, was in, and I had an, a, an apartment there in Trastevere, But Rome was beautiful. The architecture is fantastic. But most of the mosaics that I really wanted to see the ancients were in Ravenna, Italy. So I traveled to Ravenna, and I worked with some of the artisans there, you know, the Mm. Octagiani, to really see how the mosaics were constructed. You know, I went to uh, Venice to visit the Osoni family. The family's been Mm. making this glass tessera Mm. for centuries, you know, passing it through the families. Um, And most of all... It afforded me time, because what I learned from being there in Italy and having nothing to do but travel to each one of those sites, and I could spend, there's no such thing as laudering in Italy, you just (laughs) sit on the piazza all day, you can be there. So I could experience what it meant to see these mosaics, not in reproduction, but in life. And I realized they were not flat. I'd always seen them like paintings, because they're flat. But they were really more about sculpture, Mm -hmm. how they caught the light, and working with the the Optigine, how the Tessera were set, that would catch the light and reflect. So I really discovered, and only from being there, in that place, being in Italy, that I know that how this sculpture was done, how they never had an edge. It was always rounded, and they turned the corner in the architecture. So, again, the importance of real research. Right. It takes resources to do that you know um and the grants for artists a great window into unless you have a a a family trust that you can just do that or you you have a a
0: benefactor uh, right exactly
1: so you must find your way you know and there's so many wonderful organizations Uh, the um andy walhol um foundation in new york they got a grant there to work on um nature-based projects uh, so there's always a way there are many grants available in uh, this dialogue, you have to begin it you have to keep it going and it expands and I think um, the commission um, kind of sets a nice little trail for you to do that
0: yeah. mm-hmm. um, So and you've been very successful with your grant writing of the ideas the things that you want to study are obviously appealing to these organizations to want to fund you Mm -hmm. and you write good grants so what is it that is motivating you as the artist to want to study these things uh to go to certainly to see the the in-person you know uh, mosaics and that sort of thing but you know I know that you, you've continued to study different techniques from different cultures so where does yeah. that inspiration come from uh, that desire well,
1: yeah well inspiration comes from um, as a sculptor what do you, you build you make things you make oh. things with your hand and once you start a process I'm and I'm, my work is always very involved in process in a way and uh, in in, interacting with uh, kind of natural materials and man-made materials as well so once you begin a project the work always leads you. Uh, And I dare say that I wouldn't consider myself a a, a top grants writer because people do that professionally, but what I can do is begin to articulate what I'm interested in doing. Mm -hmm. What kind of paths I've discovered in the studio, I can document that quite well. And I think grantsmanship kind of leads you to do that. So there's a discourse that I'm always engaging with in the studio, and that's with the work. Mm -hmm. And grants organizations want to see the work. That's the only thing that they're really interested in. Not really you as a person. I think it has little to do with Martha Jackson Jarvis, except that the work is about, it's my work. And for artists, it's always specific names, right? You go through history, you pull them out. There's specific people who've accomplished certain things in in their field. So I think um, the work has always led me to the next path and what was necessary. And whatever, and also it takes a level of uh, honesty with yourself as well in terms of what's lacking in the work. What is it that could be better? What is it that could improve? What is it would strengthen? What would take this work to the next level? And then be brave enough... Courageous enough to go there because there's always someone and something. There's nothing new under the sun. It's been done for centuries. And how was it done? And why were they using these materials? And what were how 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 have these materials lasted through the centuries? Some of our most our oldest artifacts, right? And we still can tell basically the human story with these materials with these processes. And I find it intriguing. It's ever intriguing. It's enough research and enough uh, information to dedicate your entire life to, and you still wouldn't finish. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah,
1: and no, no subject is too obscure to investigate. I, that's that much I do know, and I think uh, the scientists and the artists and the musicians—they all attest to that. Mm-hmm. You know, you find your little niche and you develop it mm-hmm. finitely right mm-hmm.
0: you have your one corner of the universe one
1: corner of the universe that
0: you continuously work to become an expert on yes you may never become the full expert because there's always something else to there's learn there's
1: always something else you know? yes
0: but as you say you know you don't rest on your laurels you keep looking at yourself and your own work to see what what's missing you know what else can there be
1: right you right know? and also there's a community all here as well you know they're you not only look to your work but there are other artists and how they work and Mm -hmm. what they're doing, not copying, I'm not saying that, but there's, you know, it it happens kind of simultaneously in terms of an arts community, Mm -hmm. a a city, you know, the verb of Washington, D.C. It's very distinctive, right? I, I, I found in traveling Europe there was something really wonderful about having been here in washington dc we live with all this classical architecture you know the museums are world class and free and when you travel anywhere it's you know every museum in and out you pay and so we live in this treasure trove of artifacts and architecture and light you know we've had this um regulations about not building higher than the although that may be changing, (laughs) (laughs) than the Washington Monument, but it's afforded that the sky is still open to us. And for artists, you have light. Yes. And many painters from artists still talk about that in their work, the light that we experience Mm -hmm. here. Uh, So all of this goes into making this kind of energetic, uh, creative place that we call Washington, D.C. And it really does have a, a, a strong artistic community. And continuously
0: mm-hmm. yeah, right and and more artists
1: coming all the time you know, all the time all the time and you can enter whether you just arrived or you've been here for 40 years you know 50 years so there's there's a place and there are new sites popping up pop-up workshops everywhere and um, there's a place uh, The developers, hopefully, will engage even more. They're starting to uh, engage with the artistic community, Mm -hmm. but began to engage, hopefully, in really helpful ways where artists, and we know the scenario from New York City, and at one point, my one studio was at 15th and P, and you have the Mm -hmm. development, and then I moved to Mount Rainier, and now it's the arts Mm -hmm. district. I do not want to be moved out of my studio again. So we have to make sure that the artistic community is... Firmly rooted in the life that we create here, because it does add mm-hmm. a tremendous amount.
0: Absolutely, and yeah. and I think and a lot of people would say that it's because of the presence of the artists yes. that DC is what is the city that it is. Yes. Certainly, yes. Um, how did you become interested then in in public art? So starting with sculpture that you mm-hmm. studied on different techniques, and then but moving to the more large scale. Yes. Um,
1: works. Right. I always started out in, uh, as I say, ceramics, working with clay, but I was never really a functional potter or making functional things. I was always making larger scale objects and things. So I've always been interested in the natural landscape. So when you work uh, outside, it calls for a different scale mm-hmm. immediately, right? Because you have you're measured against the sky mm-hmm. right? and the... the horizon, which is pretty endless. Um, So I think that was my interest in uh, the scale. And then I worked with very permanent-like materials, you know, clay and uh, glass and stone and steel and concrete. So there's something about permanence. I'm always playing with this notion of what's permanent and impermanent, Mm -hmm. you know, things that are in a state of decay from working with natural branches and Uh, wood uh, Mm -hmm. that are in everything's in decay even steel iron oxide right so it's always this kind of moving back and forth between permanence and impermanence and for me also public art had this wonderful um word connected public meaning you know it belongs to everyone you know it's outside of the the vestiges of the museum walls and the gallery walls and these pristine places, and they become out in the environment where we all interact. There's no reason why when you're standing at the bus stop that it can't be an interesting experience, right? Right. When we're walking down the street, the streetscape should engage us. Uh, The buildings, the architecture, that's art, you know, so more and more it has to be where we live, where we think, where we spend our time. You know, do you want to walk fast, here through here and get through quickly? Or do you want to slow down and slow your pace and engage and somehow be edified? You know, art has the capacity to edify. And I'm intrigued. And I think public art, when it can engage on that scale, Really does that for me. I find it incredibly interesting, and at the same time, you have to answer all these larger questions: whose land is it? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the commons. What is it that belongs to all of us? You mm-hmm. know, uh, air, water, and all those wonderful things. And we can't take any of them for granted, as you know, the environment is now telling us. So these these are all incredible things that we must own and own passionately in order to protect them all. So for me, public art kind of has this window into that arena of what belongs to all of us and how we use our resources.
0: And it's interesting with public art, when you think of it in terms of how do you curate for public art? Because when you curate in a museum or a gallery, that's a controlled environment. You have white walls and you have Mm -hmm. this controlled and when you commission a piece of public art to go in a certain location based on and the artist designs for what that location looks like then typically so that it is in some sort of communication with its environment but as we see in dc the the environment changes the buildings you know go up and they go down they go down so and then, but the public art may still be there. So and then how how does it relate to new, you know, the future? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, is it
1: a Well, it's ever-changing, yeah. you know? No such thing as permanent. Right. I mean, we've, I've been in Washington long enough to see things go up, the first convention center, and see it come down, and right? Next one went up, too. Right. right. I mean, I have, um, there are artists who've created works that no longer are here. Mm-hmm. I mean, just now... Uh, there's a public art piece that I did in the 2000, I think. and now the spheres that are at uh, Connecticut and Van Ness. Oh. I think it originally it was commissioned by Fanny May and I think I don't know if the commission had anything to do with it. Maybe it was Wamara who mm-hmm. worked in unison there. And now that land was sold. so now there are these massive sculptures there uh-huh. now. Who will own them and where will they go or they might be destroyed? So it's part of the landscape and the urban landscape is ever changing. And even when you deal with construction, now it's getting, it used to start out 50 years, now it's down to 20, now it's down to 10, many cases where things just go up and come down, Mm -hmm. right? So this notion of permanence and impermanence are are big issues. We're going to have to really grapple with what that means. And what mm. we want that to mean, because the landfills are filling up with all the things we no longer want. Exactly. So, those are you know. So it's a little question, but look how broad it. It is. It really is.
0: In, in different types of the in different areas of the economy, they say that we live in a disposable economy, right? Uh-huh. That you know many products that we buy you know are really just made to sell. You know, you totally clothing that's you know made such that you're only going to wear it for a season, if that, you right. know, it's not like
1: you wash it in it a descent, It's desc- not desc-
0: these you know, long-term pieces that you have for years and years like right. you used to. And that's, you know, talks about you uh, a continual cycle of
1: consumption.
0: creation, consumption, recreation.
1: Right. So we have to stop the wheel somewhere and get off. Right. And select a cotton fiber, a, uh, well, these mm-hmm. these are materials that have, that last, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go in the pyramids and still find little pieces of cloth, right?
0: you are still cu- colored blue. <laughs> that still color has, blue That, that blue, that indigo blue uh-huh. is still there.
1: <laughs> so, you know, these are questions that um, the future, as humans, we will have to address this. Mm-hmm. You can no longer continue with the level of consumption that we have. So some things should have more meaning, and they should have the ability to withstand. So these are questions of how something is constructed. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what leads me to sculpture. I mean, my grandfather was a, a little carpenter, and he would had a little workshop in, in the rural South, and he'd go in this little workshop, and I swore he could just go in and come out with whatever he wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh, I want to be able to do that one day, build something. You have an idea
0: mm-hmm.
1: about an design or an idea and then how do you make it materialize you know and it becomes part of the functional world in some ways so those are um, we can't keep throwing away and trashing I go regularly to the dump (laughs) the city dump so Mm -hmm. I can just see them rake you know you just see so much stuff everyone needs to go visit the city dump just so you can see how much is raked in and Carded in -hmm. every day.
0: Well, Martha, thank you so much for coming down here. I mean, we could keep talking about this all day.
1: You're um, great. Thank you.
0: But thank you. And thank you so much for everything that you do uh, to contribute um, throughout the years. And we've certainly look forward to all the great wonderful things that are yet to come
1: okay great thank you thank you
0: you've been listening to the 202 studio a podcast series of the dc commission on the arts and humanities thanks to the commissioners and staff of the commission on the arts and humanities the office of cable television film music and entertainment and special thanks to our mayor muriel bowser for her support of the arts and humanities in the district of columbia and thanks to you for listening today